Our God is living. He is fresh. He is ever new. He is the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. So we look to Him that we would have a fresh touch with Him, that we would uh, be enlivened and revived and vitalized by Him, that He would deliver us from any oldness, any staleness, that any effects of death would be defeated by the resurrection life of Christ, that we would walk together in the light, in the life flowing in the vine, in the love circulating in the organism of the triune God. Our general subject is quite simple. The true vine and the golden lampstand. Uh, two signs or symbols that reflect each other, that correspond to each other, in that both involve the triune God in union with his chosen and redeemed people. We emphasize that our stress in this little conference, although we need to base everything on the truth, the stress is on experience both personal and corporate. We're on the second message on the true vine. And the true vine, that expression implies there's a vine that's not real. And also there's a vine that is false. Regarding the false vine, we may have some impression now that Revelation 14, 18, and 19 speak of the vine of the earth. And every human being who is not abiding in the vine and who is not in Christ by position is actually part of this other vine. Uh, a dear brother last night shared how he wondered how did he, could his daughter have such expectations concerning her wedding. Where did it come from? Well, I don't claim to know where it came from exactly, but parents can be baffled. We impart something, we exemplify something, but this other vine just flows in concepts, values, feelings, views to everyone who's part of it. That's why it's quite serious not to see God's vision of the vine and to be one with the Lord as branches in the vine and to live inwardly in this vine as we are living outwardly in the world. The Lord said in his prayer to the Father, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. We're not monks, we're not nuns, we don't live in caves. We're normal human beings living in society. But the Lord prayed, keep them from the evil one. We need to live in the world, but not of the world. 
We are of the vine. And our thinking, our values, our views are determined by the triune God and his word as made known to us through our abiding in the Lord. We saw last night that the vine is the meaning of the universe, of human life, of human history, of the church, and even of the Bible. And we pointed out that this is the organism of the triune God with the believers. The Father is the source, the Son is the center, the Spirit is the reality, and the branches are the expression. Then the message made a turn, and thankfully I believe all of our hearts turned with the Spirit to see something particular about Christ as the vine. The vine signifies the sacrificing life of Christ. So to be a branch in the vine is to be one with a person who lived like this on the earth. And as the vine is, so the members are. The Lord sacrificed everything of himself to produce new wine that is the freshness of life that will bring happiness to God and happiness to others. It is not a small matter to affect others in such a way that they enjoy the Lord, that they become happy in the Lord. A great teacher among the brothers, uh, William Kelly, I think it is in his little book on Judges, he says, nothing so confounds the world as to see a man thoroughly happy in his God. Amen. So the Lord is the vine, live this life. As we abide in the vine, he will energize us and he will motivate us to live him and to let him live again this sacrificing life. Okay. Mothers know, humanly speaking, you cannot have a family and you cannot raise children without sacrifice. Motherhood almost equals sacrifice. But this is on a human level. We honor it, but still it's something in the natural human life. But it makes the point. Neither can we live the church life according to the desire of God's heart, if no one knows how to live a life of sacrifice. We are told and we believe the report that Brother Lee's last word was the word sacrifice. And many of us have a little plaque with that word, sacrifice. And it's good to have the plaque but just to have this reminder on our desk or on the wall is one thing. To know the Lord inwardly as the sacrificing life 
is an altogether matter, a different matter. And this is our concern, not to have the simple spiritual knowledge that the vine signifies sacrificing life, that the Lord lived a sacrificing life, that Paul, as a reproduction of Christ and a pattern to us, lived a sacrificing life. Now we are here. And we are called to live a life that is humanly impossible and that is contrary to the tide of the age where many would have the attitude of entitlement and even like to have a government that will feed their sense of entitlement. We in the Lord and in the churches in the Lord's recovery would learn to live in a very different way. But as we live this life of sacrifice, we don't have the feeling that we're martyrs, that others should pity us, that they should mourn because of us. Paul anticipated his ending his life by being a drink offering in Philippians 2, when he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Therefore, I rejoice and you rejoice with me. It is a cause of rejoicing to be touched by such a life. We rejoice in the Lord that the Lord could produce in a sister or in a brother such a living. And this one also rejoices in us and he rejoices in being poured out as a drink offering, as the ultimate act of his life and service during the time the Lord has measured to us. Paul is a pattern. This is 1 Timothy 1.16. He was the greatest sinner. He thought of himself. The Lord showed mercy on him that he would be a pattern to all those who believe. And he's the pattern of an overcomer. He was pressing on until the end. He did not have the assurance until the end that he would receive the crown. But at the very end, he knew the race was won. He kept the faith. He finished the course. And he was being poured out. There is no more honorable way to live and to end our life on earth and to bear this testimony in the lives of so many saints. This was a branch, not an extraordinary person. This was a branch who lived Christ and who lived a sacrificing life to make God happy and to make others happy. Now we come to the second message on the true vine, living in the vine. And the word living refers to the totality of our life. I don't live in Milwaukee. Uh, I don't live in this Sheraton Brookmore Hotel. Or if I say I'm living here, I'm living here for about 48 hours, less than 48 hours. Uh, I'm visiting. 
Well, we are not visiting the vine. Uh, the vine is not like a vacation home. Uh, for those who are affluent, uh, you, you go to a winter or summer vacation home. The vine is our home. It's our residence. It's our dwelling place. And to live here is to remain here throughout all the stages and all the experiences of our human life. If you're still in high school, you are really blessed. You can be a teenager. You can be a normal kid in a human sense. Yet, you're living in this vine. Maybe you're a young married person, a working saint, taking on for the first time certain human responsibilities. You do so by living in the vine. Then the first child comes. Now you're in middle age, and you may encounter a midlife crisis or two. You've got teenagers. They need orthodontists. They lose and they break their, you know, what, what is it, the retainers. I think we lost five or six of these with my daughter. <laughs> One stepped on in a high school conference. One inadvertently thrown into a trash can in, of the Upper Peninsula, recalled a hundred miles later. On and on it goes. We, we may have health issues, serious health issues. But if we're living here, this means that more and more, we're learning this, more and more we realize we have to stay here in the vine. This is our dwelling place. This is where the Lord is. This is where the body of Christ is. This is where the divine life is. So this message is a contribution to our learning to live in the vine in this way. And I believe all of us here have the spirit of a learner. None of us can say, I, I do this 24-7. I have mastered this. Our situation is we're in and out, in, out, in, out, in, out, in, out, right? That, that's just how it is. That's not the normal situation. That's the typical situation. But we are becoming the New Jerusalem, which is fellowship city. There's a river flowing all the time. Everyone is now living in the triune God. Now, in the first section of the outline, there is an extremely crucial matter. And uh, the enemy resists this very much. He has been hiding this from believers for centuries. He has been hiding the fact that human beings have a human spirit. He has been hiding this. This is the one part of a human being he cannot directly enter and affect. 
He doesn't want us to know that we have a spirit. This changes our view of people, the people you work with. If you are impressed, they have a spirit. That means they have the capacity to contain God. And the enemy has been hiding the fact that in resurrection, <clears throat> the Christ who resurrected bodily also became in resurrection a life-giving spirit. Then even more, he wants to hide the fact that in us, the believers, these two spirits have been mingled to become one spirit. Now, we may see a part of this mingling. And the part we may see is the personal side. We may speak of my mingled spirit. For me to be in the mingled spirit is for me to be with the Lord who is one with my spirit. This is absolutely true, but it's actually less than half of the vision. The mingled spirit is not only personal, the mingled spirit is corporate. The reality of the body of Christ is this corporate mingled spirit the Lord Spirit in resurrection mingled with the spirits of the saints. Now we're speaking of abiding in the vine. And we're speaking experientially. Then we ask two questions. Okay. What is the vine now? What is the vine? Well, you say Christ is the vine. Okay, what is Christ now in resurrection? And where is the vine? If we are to stay somewhere, uh, we have to know where it is. And some of us, like me, with the gift of disorientation, we have to know how to get to this where. Okay, so I check in. Your room is 162. Where is it? How do I get there? I have to know where it is. Where is the vine? And when you abide in the vine, where are you? Where are you? And shouldn't you be able to say after a while what it's like to be here? I always give love calls to my wife every night when I'm traveling, or if it's in a distant country, uh, a text. She's learned how to do this. <laughs> and, I, and I like to describe where I am. This, this is the size of the place. Or th this is what's going on here. Shouldn't we be able to speak in a normal way? This is what it's like. This is what you experience when you stay here. So we need to look at this with care uh, with a calm mind and an exercised spirit, open to the Lord that we would see what the vine is 
and where the vine is. Okay, I, I can't hold back. We sang him 745. That the Lord is now living in our spirit. Okay, just consider this as you're sitting there. The resurrected Christ, who is the life-giving spirit, is right now inside of you. Amen. Living in your spirit. There is a person inside of you. When I got saved in 1955, and I'm not blaming, it's just a fact, I had no one who could really help me. And especially, I wish someone could have helped me in this way. I got saved in the, toward the end of August, and maybe about a month later, I have this strange realization or a surprising realization. And I said to myself, there's another person in me. I wish there was an FTTA trainee or a full-timer or any saint that I could have gone to and said, I have to tell you something. I have I have this sense there's another person in me. That's the word I used. And then to have this one say, Ron, this is wonderful. And this is true. Okay. Let me share with you something. You do have another person in you. This is Jesus Christ himself. He's in you. Look at this verse from 2 Corinthians 13. Do you not know that Jesus Christ is in you? And Colossians 1.27, Christ in you. So you are right. Now, how can this person be in you? Luke 24 says he has a body of flesh and bones. We believe this. But you don't feel there's a person with flesh and bones inside of you. You just sense there's a person. Well, now you can realize he is in you because he is the spirit. The life-giving spirit. Amen. And then, please now realize where he is. He is in a place called your Spirit. When you stood up in that meeting and proclaimed your faith in the Lord, he came into you as the Spirit. And he entered your spirit, enlivened it, mingled himself with it, and now he is with your spirit and will never leave. The Lord is with your spirit. You have been joined to the Lord as one spirit. Amen. And this joining makes you a 16-year-old boy, a branch in the vine. Amen. And now the Lord says, abide 
stay, remain here. And then I would ask, how do I do this? Then the serving one would say, I'm learning this. But we can pray together and we can fellowship together. And the Lord will teach us how to remain. Well, that didn't happen. It couldn't happen in the United Presbyterian Church with people who don't even believe they have a spirit and who don't know what regeneration is. It didn't happen when I was in Princeton Seminary. It only began to happen when I came under the ministry of a dear man from Yantai, China, Brother Lee, who opened up the scriptures and showed us the human spirit, Amen. the regenerated human spirit, Christ as the life-giving spirit. This is utterly amazing. I'm looking at maybe 275, 80 people in whom Christ is now living as a person. There's not simply an element in you called life. There's not merely a substance called the divine nature. There is a person. I mean, the Lord Jesus Christ himself as a person is mysteriously residing in you. And he is there as the vine. The one who said, I am the vine, is the one who passed through death and resurrection to become the life-giving spirit. Amen. Now in experience, the vine is the life-giving spirit. Amen. To live in the vine is to live, Lord, to live in the life giving spirit and we are branches well in what way are we branches well this special part of us called our spirit is very similar to God it is not divine the notion that there is something divine in humanity that is a mystical concept from, uh, that's outside the faith. We do not have a little bit of God in us. But we have a human spirit that is very similar to the life of God and similar to the spirit of God, but something created. But because of this similarity, the two spirits can be joined. When you were regenerated experientially, Christ as the life-giving spirit branched out into your human spirit, made it alive, mingled himself with your spirit, and you became a branch. That's why we need to see what we are. We are branches. We're not only human beings, physically distinct, with our own social security number, et cetera, et cetera. We're not only believers, we're not only children of God, 
All these refer to individuals. We are branches of an organism. And the day will come, and it's a blessed day, when we will realize and we will testify, I cannot live apart from this vine. And one aspect of this is a brother presently traveling to some extent. I cannot live, I cannot serve, I cannot travel if other branches do not pray. I don't know who they are. I don't know where they are. Even today, I don't want to disclose too much. I was constrained to pray, cause this one to pray for me now. I, I need some to pray. The branch cannot live without the vine. Because we are part of this organism. I don't know if we can make the matter any more clear than what is in this next part of the outline that we'll read. That to live in the vine is to live in the mingled spirit. We abide in the vine <clears throat> by living in the mingled spirit. If we don't see this, the word abide will just evaporate. What, what do we mean by abide? To feel something? What? To abide is to stay somewhere, to make your home somewhere, to remain somewhere. Well, we abide by living in the mingled spirit. Uh, I think it's okay to, to testify this. While um, parking my car in the Bank of America parking lot uh, a few days ago, I made two mistakes. Okay. The first mistake was to not pay attention to the prompting within, which indicated, don't take that spot. Go a little further, make a right turn, and then take another spot. But my immediate reaction is, that's just me. So I wasn't like deliberately rebelling, so I decided to go into that spot which I did, but before I did, I bumped another car. Okay. And that other car had an alarm system, and so everybody knew something was going on. And some saints were there, and a, and a brother came, and he said, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. He said, brother, we, we've all done it, as if I didn't know that anyway. Anyway, then eventually the owner came. And my impression was, I mean, I, I just told him, I bumped your car. I'm responsible for it. I have excellent coverage. We'll take care of it. And he was so calm and so respectful. And when it was done, he shook my hand. And 
you know, we went our separate ways. Whether I was abiding when I bumped him, I dare not say. But I got back in soon as it happened. (laughs) I got back in soon as it happened. So when I say we're learners here, this is not a pretense of humility. This is our situation. And so eventually we will learn more and more to pay attention to those promptings. That's a person. See, this person, who is the omniscient God, he's fully aware, okay, the car on your left is right at the edge of the line. And the right fender of this SUV is somewhat over the line. You don't see those details. It's tricky to go in there. That's why I'm prompting you not to do that. (laughs) And so this is a person. He's not beating me when it happened. He didn't beat me and said, you rebel, you deserve many stripes. You know, how long will you go on like this? This is a gentle, tender, loving, yet strong and persistent person inside of me while I'm driving my 14-year-old, soon-to-expire <laughs> Nissan and bumping someone's car. Now, one other detail. Uh, when the man came out, you know, we looked at it. And then later, he, he pointed to a, a kind of scrape that was far back on the car, or at least in the middle of the car. And he said, this must have happened also. And within me, I'm saying, it seems physically impossible. (laughs) Physically impossible. But by the Lord living in me, I just said, your word is good enough for me. You said when you were waxing your car, it wasn't there. And so we'll just take care of it. Okay, this is living. Okay, living is parking your car at at the Bank of America parking lot and any number of things. The Lord wants us to live here. And the Lord doesn't want us to bang other people's cars. And he he, he wants us to be just in in a proper situation. So if I had been more keen, I was, there's no excuse, I wasn't that exercised, I was somewhat tired, but Otherwise, it would have just sensed. I'll just go along with this. But some of, us, some of us have to learn to abide by scraping the bumpers of brand new SUVs. I think I'm not the only one in this room who has this kind of experience, right? So this is the direction the Lord is leading us in. He's not here like just demanding from now on every moment of your life. You have to stay here. And you shouldn't say, you mean I have to stay here for my whole life? Let's not think that way. Let's think this way. I'd like to be here right now. I'd like to 
Abide in the vine right now. Now we can read this part. It should open up to us. As branches of the vine, we need to abide in the vine. To be in the Lord is a matter of union. To abide in the Lord is a matter of fellowship. The main sense we have that we're abiding in the vine by living in the mingled spirit is we're in fellowship with the Lord. You just consider on any given day how much fellowship did you enjoy. That's an indicator of how much you were abiding. And this fellowship, we'll come back to this toward the end, is the flowing of the divine life within us. Two, our abiding in Christ as the vine depends on seeing a clear vision that we are branches in the vine. Once we see that we are branches in the vine, we need to maintain the fellowship between us and the Lord. The time will come when we will treasure our fellowship with the Lord more than anything that causes us to lose this fellowship. That because we're fallen, we have the flesh of sin, we're tempted on every hand, we want certain things. We like certain things. We enjoy certain things. We do certain things from time to time. It may not be a practice, but from time to time. And with the virtually limitless possibilities of what's in the web world, we can go anywhere, do anything. And we all, in some way or other, can relate to spending time apart from the Lord because we're distracted or we're preoccupied. Then we have no recourse but to return to him, to come to him, Lord, just as I am. I've been away from you. I confess. I'm sorry. Now I'm back. The time will come when the Lord himself and our fellowship with him will be so supremely precious to us that we'll say, I won't lose it for anything. Okay? I won't lose it for that. No more. It's not simply a moral thing. It's a fellowship thing. Why would I leave the vine for a few hours when the issue will be death? But we have to learn this experientially. And I hope there's not a misunderstanding to learn it not merely ethically, like you shouldn't do this, this is wrong. That can preserve you. But the Lord wants us to live him and the Lord wants us to think this way. Do you want me or do you want that? Do you want to enjoy me and live in the fellowship or that? 
Then it's not a matter merely of right and wrong, but of the Lord and whatever is not the Lord. And the Lord understands our situation. We are complicated beings. We're tripartite. We have the divine life in our spirit. We have the human life. We have really the life of Satan in the flesh. We are going in and out. We are doing this and that. We are all in this process. Okay? The Lord knows this. This is the actual situation. He would like to come to us and meet us in our actual situation and shepherd us and minister to us and encourage us by unveiling to us the splendor, the wonder, of living in this organism and living as a human being. Whatever we need is here. It's here. It's not in the world. It's here. Okay, we need to go on. B, the vine lives in all the branches. And all the branches live in the vine. They live together with one another. To abide in the Lord is to be one spirit with him. That is to live in the mingled spirit. We read 1 Corinthians 6.17, Romans 8.4. Speaks of walking according to the spirit. That's the mingled spirit. The word joined in 1 Corinthians 6.17 refers to the believer's organic union with the Lord through believing into him. We have been joined to the Lord through our believing. The expression one spirit indicates the mingling of the Lord as the spirit with our spirit. This is one of the greatest revelations in the New Testament. The mingled spirit. How sad that many believers have very little opportunity to realize this. They are under pastors, reformed persons, indoctrinated with the view that you don't have a spirit. Your spirit and your soul are the same thing. And these ones do not see that Christ in resurrection not only has a body, but he became the life-giving spirit. And tomorrow on the Lord's Day, religious persons will come together, offer some kind of religious worship to God. The Father won't be satisfied because who's worshiping him in spirit? No one is satisfied. The focus of God's economy is this mingled spirit. This is where the vine is. This is what the vine is. Now, I don't want anyone to feel uh, any kind of threat. There's nothing threatening. But we need to understand something. According to Luke 12... When the Lord comes back, his slaves, the believers as his servants, will receive different kinds of discipline. 
those who have failed him. And the Lord uses the metaphor of, of stripes. Some will receive many stripes and some will receive few stripes. And the Lord explains, he who knew the Lord's will, yet did not do according to his will, will receive the many. But the one who didn't know, and therefore he didn't do according to the Lord's will, will receive less. On the one hand, we are privileged and blessed to be under the ministry of the age and under the vision of the age that includes the vision of the vine and of the mingled spirit. On the other hand, we're responsible to what we know. We cannot say, Lord, I didn't know. And all those who hear this, they're responsible. And those of us who teach this are even more responsible. There is a definite weight of responsibility on me. But we cannot hold back. And I would like to echo Paul. I, I, I could be cast away myself. I could teach others and then be cast away. So we need to be just sober for a little bit to realize this is not theory. This is not theology. This is life in the vine the Lord is talking about. And he wants us to know this. He wants us, he wants to shepherd us into this. And on our part, we need to exercise. To exercise our spirit. To not be passive. I don't know how you are when you wake up in the morning. Maybe you spring out of bed like a hind let loose. You're in resurrection life. You're immediately in the mingled spirit. Some of us are like divers groping to the surface, breaking into consciousness. What time is it? Where is it? What city am I in? Uh, uh, I woke up in the middle of one night and I was shocked I thought I was in Manila. And then I said, who is this? Oh, that's your wife. <laughs> I, I, I'm, in, I'm in my own bedroom. I'm in my own bed. And so every day begins the same. I have to turn to the Spirit. Turn my heart to the Lord and exercise the Spirit. Because I'm under this vision. Man, you're a branch in the vine. Now live according to what you are. Small a, the spirit, which is the mingling of our spirit with the Lord's spirit into one spirit is both the spirit of the Lord and our spirit. It's a, this is astounding. It is the Lord's spirit mingled with your spirit. Therefore, the mingled spirit, the union of both spirits, is both the Lord and you as one spirit. Amazing. All our spiritual experiences, such as our fellowship with the Lord, our prayer to him, and our living with him, are in this mingled spirit. Okay, spiritual experiences, this may sound 
elementary. Spiritual experiences are experiences in the spirit. Even the worldly people talk about spirituality. I saw something, Madonna wants to have spirituality. Without God, without Christ, without redemption, without regeneration. But they want to have a spiritual dimension that fits their amoral living. Well, the word spiritual should be reserved to what is of the mingled spirit. And mere psychological experiences are not spiritual. Spiritual experiences are in the mingled spirit. Whatever God intends to accomplish or do or accomplish is related to the mingled spirit. Now, who can say how the Lord will lead one how the Lord will gain one. But very often, the Lord begins a work deep in your spirit. And it may take a while for you to sense something is going on. I need to pay attention to my inner being and say, Lord, I sense something going on. And eventually, when our mind is set on the spirit, what the Lord is doing in our spirit may enter into our understanding. And so, with someone who's a senior, say at Northwestern, or at University of Minnesota, or UWM, once this feeling begins to surface from within, there's some understanding, and what is emerging? Um, F, uh, T, T, A. And you see, I, I serve in the full-time training. I assure you, I never recruit anyone. You don't need any pressure put on you by anyone. You have the Lord in you. You're the Lord's. You're the Lord's. But if, if he wants to do something, he will start from the mingled spirit. Then it's between you and him. You know? I mean, maybe, maybe certain ones prayed that this would happen, but we didn't cause it to happen. We just asked God to cause it to happen. But God won't cause it to happen if he doesn't want it to happen. And again and again and again, the Lord will do this. Now, some of us, and I have brothers in mind, because, but not only brothers, I would, and I include myself, we're just dense. We're just dense to inward stuff. So outward things need to happen. And then when certain outward things happen, we pay more attention to what is happening inwardly. Oh, 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 okay, uh, my, my truck caught on fire. Is there a message in this? Are you, are you wanting to say something to me? It may not be major, but it may be. 
Because the Lord does have, there is a timing. He has something he wants to accomplish. But the point is, whatever he wants to accomplish in you is related to the mingled spirit. And uh, even if you're like Jonah, fleeing from the mingled spirit, uh, that's not the end of the story. There'll be a boat, there'll be a storm, there'll be a fish, there'll be other things that will happen. And then the word of the Lord will come to you a second time. F-T-T-A. F-T-T-A. And, and, and it's all a matter of the Lord living in you in the mingled spirit. I'll tell you, this is a way to live the Christian life. It's so deeply personal between us and the Lord. Now we come to another dimension in Roman numeral two. We need to learn to pray as branches in the vine. And we need to pay attention to verse 7, John 15. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. Okay, this needs consideration. The principle of prayer is this. God in the present age will not act alone in carrying out his economy. He needs our cooperation. The principle of prayer is this. God wants to do something. He has a will. He makes this known to those who are open to him. And what is made known to them They receive, they become one with, they they agree with this. Then they pray according to this. Then the Lord, by fulfilling their desire, spontaneously fulfills his desire. So here's an illustration. It's 1991. The Lord impresses Brother Lee. Russia. Why not go to Russia? Then the prayer comes. Lord, open Russia. Then Brother Lee shares this with co-workers. And they receive this burden. The prayer comes and the fellowship comes. Then this is transmitted to the whole recovery and there's a wonderful response. There's a particular kind of prayer in the vine. Now prayer, I would say this. It's the simplest thing. On the one hand, you just Talk to God and you ask him for things or you tell him about things. Anyone can do it. On the other hand, prayer is the most difficult and demanding activity. 
because it involves the Lord's operation through our entire being. Uh, I'd like to make a recommendation and also <clears throat> give some particular encouragement. The first time I tried to read the book Lessons on Prayer, I didn't get very far. There's a chapter on the mind in prayer, the emotion in prayer, the will in prayer. And then I just said, I give up. It's impossible for me to pray. I'm not this kind of person. So I stopped reading. Then I tried it again with the same result. I looked at myself, all these inward problems. I can't pray. Maybe my wife can pray. Sisters can pray. This man, no. Then the third time I said, forget yourself. I'm just going to read the book. I'm just going to read the book. Forget my situation. Let the Lord minister to me through this book, Lessons on Prayer. And you'll see that prayer is the Lord flowing in, through, and out of us. So our whole being is involved. Now here's what we have in verse 7. If you abide in me. Okay, and this you is plural. Okay, we are abiding in him. We're in the mingled spirit. Then he says, and my words abide in you. Previously he said, I abide in you. Here he says, my words abide in you. Then we ask whatever we will. What it says, ask whatever you will, even whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. Well, this has been misappropriated. Someone would read this and say, okay, I want a Mercedes Benz. So I'm abiding in the Lord. His word is abiding in me. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. It's abiding in me. Whatever I will, ha, I want a Mercedes Benz. Now I believe it will come. That is a total misuse of this. Whatever you will follows one abiding in him. And it follows two his words abiding in you. So now you are in him. Cannot many of you testify that when you're in him, you can't pray about certain things. You just can't. Uh, my older son was in this situation where there was, Lord, work out a change in his life. He's middle-aged now, but he needs to find a, a new job. This is an important matter in the life of someone 41 who has three children. It's crucial. I'm a dad. Dad's our concern. I couldn't pray for the job itself. Whether others could pray, that's up to them. I couldn't. I was restricted. I had to pray along a different line. So you're in the Lord. And you just can't come up with whatever you want in your emotion. You just can't do it. You have to be governed by the union with the Lord. Okay, so this is the restriction. Then his words abide in us. Okay, this is in our fellowship of living in the vine. 
And his words convey his desire, his will, his intention. Then that enters into us. And as a result, we want what God wants. The Lord wants this. I love you, Lord. I'm one with you. You want to, to move in this way in Europe? Then I want this. You're not alone in this. We join you in this. Then we pray for whatever we will. And now whatever we will is an expression of what God wills. So we ask whatever we will. Okay, I have no interest in a Mercedes. My car is dead in the driveway. Whether it's worth repairing or not, I don't know. I need wheels. I need transportation. Simple as that. Lord, just meet this simple need in a way that's appropriate for the amount I drive year by year. I have no interest in praying for a yacht, in praying for a condo in Kauai, and for anything like this. Instead, our being is occupied with what's on the Lord's heart. And we pray that, and then it is done for us. This is prayer in the vine. And as we live in the vine, we abide in the vine by living in the mingled spirit. We will be brought into this kind of prayer. We're just abiding. And then the sense comes. The sister is in the kitchen. She's cleaning carrots for the salad. She can multitask. Sisters can do this. Some of us men, it's one thing at a time. Okay. <laughs> And so you're doing this, you're taking care of the children, and in your spirit, you just have the sense to pray with feeling about this. What a life. This is praying as branches in the vine. Effective prayers are the issue of our abiding in the Lord and of his words abiding in us. When we abide in the Lord, and his words abide in us. There will be a desire in us that comes out of his words. All genuine prayer involves desire. That Syrophoenician woman wanted her daughter to be healed. Her daughter was tormented. And first she prayed in a more formal way, the Lord responded in a certain way. Then she expressed her real feeling, to heal my daughter. If we pray without desire, I don't know if that's prayer, what is that? If you have no desire, that means there's no feeling about it, whether it happens or not, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. The Lord has a desire the desire of his heart. There's some, he has an intention, a longing, a will. And he communicates this desire through his words. We will touch the Lord's feeling 
and understand his intention, then spontaneously we will have his desire in us. Okay, this happened in a prayer meeting in the church in Anaheim some years ago. Uh, the prayer was going on a certain way, and that was good. And some sisters were overactive in the meeting. That was not good. And so at a certain point, I won't identify the person, a brother stood up and stopped the meeting in a proper way and said this, the Lord wants to change the direction of our prayer. I don't know what it is. But in, order, but in order for this to happen, we all need to be very calm in our being. So, of course, a hush came over the meeting, and the loud sisters were momentarily subdued. And we were quiet. We didn't become Quakers. And then after about 30 seconds, a prayer emerged from a middle-aged sister concerning Boston. What a feeling. What a burden. What an intention. Then we all entered into this. Here's a dear sister in her 50s. Her human life is far from simple. Serious health challenges. Yet she's in the meeting, abiding in the Lord, and it pleased the Lord to release through her. And then the whole vine represented by the meeting could sense Boston, Boston. And we know what has happened in the last several years concerning there. Well, the Lord wants to open this up to us. Uh, we have to be restfully abiding in the Lord, calm within, yet exercised in spirit, so the Lord can infuse into us his sense, his will, his desire, and then we pray. His desire will become our desire. What he wants will be what we want. And we will pray according to this desire. The Lord knows we're human, to say the obvious. And we have human reactions to things. So here's the situation. This is a trainee sister. Rather unusual for a sister that young to have this feeling. But she wanted to talk about it. There were two middle-aged brothers suffering from the same kind of cancer. Both undergoing treatment. And the sister was very troubled by what she was sensing as she was praying. And her sense was, I feel this brother will be healed and this brother will be taken. Uh, I shouldn't tell you how I responded. I responded in a way to affirm her. Well, if we have the sense 
We have to pray according to the sense. If we have the sense that the Lord's intention is to take this beloved brother to himself, then shouldn't we agree with the Lord? And if we have the sense that the Lord will not now take this other brother, but will give him time. This is not praying according to our opinion. But eventually, my brothers and sisters, we have to learn to pray according to God. I was very much helped in a meeting. Another case like this, a brother so seriously ill. I was perfected by an utterance in prayer from one of the elders. And I'm not one of them. I'm a brother there. And he said, Lord, we know that you have a will. But we also have a desire. And so he was expressing our human desire that the brother would be spared. But the Lord's will was otherwise. See, sometimes when we pray, we end by saying, if it be your will, if it be your will. If that's where we are, and, and I've been there much, okay. But eventually, we should be in 1 John 5, 13 and 14. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked from him. We need to advance so that eventually we sense what this will is. When the whole recovery was praying for our brother Lee 15 years ago, about 15 years ago to this present time, his situation was made known. How many prayed, Lord, give him more time to release what's in him, do this and do that. But eventually, in some, the sense grew. Lord, you're going to take him. And brotherly, one day, he said in his fellowship, I think the Lord wants me to go. It's not easy to agree with many of the things the Lord intends to do. When we're young, when we're not that strong in spirit, the Lord bears with us. But brothers and sisters, the Lord needs a particular kind of prayer to emerge from our abiding in the vine by living in the mingled spirit. And that is the prayer that expresses his wish, whatever it is. Amen. Just whatever it is. And sometimes what he intends to do is hard to take. Humanly speaking, it's hard to take. Perhaps the most severe case I know is in Ezekiel. Though there's no record, Ezekiel prayed about it. The Lord said to him, Son of man, I will remove the desire of your eyes with a stroke. Then the, Ezekiel testified, In the morning, my wife died. And in the evening, I prophesied as I was commanded. 
It's not always easy. There are so many things we don't understand, and the only one who understands is God, and he's silent. But he needs some who will be one with him and tell him, whatever you want to do, we are here to be one with you. A trainee, we had breakfast together, the house, the trainee house. She wanted some fellowship. She's a fourth termer. And how can she know what the Lord wants her to do? And I asked her a sincere question, and she gave me a sisterly, very sincere answer. I said, are you willing for the Lord to do whatever he wants? And she said, no. I said, okay. But what if no one in the whole earth can say, Lord, whatever you want to do, beginning with me, with my marriage, with my family, with, with whatever, whatever you want to do. This is what I live for. As I live in the vine, I want the desire of God in the vine to be carried out. That's why I'm breathing here. Whatever you want. But especially when it comes to prayer, we can pray in the first way of praying about anything that matters to us. Tell him everything. Ask him anything. Make your request known. Don't hold back. Express whatever is in you. But there needs to be a time, especially when the branches are clustering together. We're praying as the church. Our attitude is, whatever you want, Lord. We are here to execute whatever you want to do. Amen. That's what we have here. Then I repeat, his desire will become our desire. What he wants will be what we want. And we will pray according to this desire. Don't place a religious demand on yourself that you will do this from now on? Please don't. Rather, let's just tell the Lord, we're willing to learn this. What is this? This is part of living in the vine. One of the preeminent functions of sisters is to pray like this. When Peter was in prison, to me it's no surprise that he went to the house of Mary, where many were gathered together praying. The church was praying fervently because someone knew the word in John 21, that this is not the time and this is not the way Peter would be martyred. So this cannot be God's will. So the church is praying, binding and loosing prayers. Then the heavens hear and respond to the prayer but I'd like to pay my respect to those dear sisters who are not ashamed to admit they don't know, they have a need. The, the first thing they do is pray. With us men brothers, prayer is often the last thing we do. You know, in Acts, it's said of Saul of Tarsus, when the Lord is speaking to the one he's sending to him, to Ananias, he said, you go there. Behold, he is praying. Like, look, universe, 
He's finally praying. The man is praying. One day I happened to be passing through the meeting hall, one of the meeting halls on Saturday morning, and the elders were meeting, and I could hear them praying earnestly, and I was so comforted to be in a church where the elders pray together. But we need to learn to pray like this. The Lord will answer this kind of prayer because it issues from our abiding in the Lord and from his words abiding in us. Now, for about 10 minutes, the last section, because the message has been full already and we need much time. Your speaking last night was so good. I was so supplied. Let's just do this all the time, right? That is so good. When we abide in Christ as the vine, we have the church life. We can have the church life only by living in the mingled spirit. In Christ as the life-giving spirit mingled with our spirit. It's when we are in the church and we're not in the spirit that we have the problems. We should remain in this mingled spirit for the church life. Maybe you're down, you're discouraged about yourself. I'm not talking about you do something as a pretense, but why not just set yourself aside and say, Lord, I will turn to the spirit for my wife, for the church, for the brothers. I like to be in the mingled spirit for the church in Milwaukee. Do you realize that much of the time, if not all the time, the best thing you can do for anyone or for the church is to abide in the mingled spirit. You just be here and let the Lord live in you. B, the branches are one with the vine and with one another. This is a reality. The church life, the body, is a life of loving one another. We need to love one another in the life of Christ, in the love of Christ, and in the commission of Christ. All three. So you have the life of Christ flowing in us. That's a life of love. The Lord spoke of his love being in us. We love in the love of Christ and in the commission of Christ when we are one in the commission to spread the Lord's interest, to bear fruit, to propagate, to raise up new churches. We touch a dimension of his love in this activity that we do not touch otherwise. Then D, when we abide in Christ, we participate in the wonderful fellowship among the co-branches. <clears throat> in reality and in practicality, the church life is a life of fellowship. How much we are in the church life largely is determined by how much fellowship we have. 
Now I'm making a general statement next. Okay? It can apply anywhere. It can apply to anyone. It is really sad to see dear brothers and sisters who simply don't know how to fellowship. They, they don't cause outward problems. Some don't know to fellowship. Others don't know how to fellowship. Some don't know how to be genuinely transparent at a time of fellowship, to share their feeling. To say, brothers, we're now fellowshipping this. I know others have expressed a certain view, but for some reason, I have a different view. I'd like to present it to you. Some won't do this. And then after the meeting is over, they'll go to Starbucks with someone and they'll pour out their feeling or they'll go home. This is even worse. Pour out their feeling to their wife. There's no transparency here. The new Jerusalem is pure gold. That fellowship requires that if we have a feeling or a view pertinent to what we are discussing, we should present it. Now, this next matter I'll mention will be sensitive to the sisters, but listen to the end. Okay, some of us had to face a certain situation with a group of very experienced sisters with much experience in the Lord and in the church. And we had to tell them because they were involved in a certain service. It is, it is not profitable for you to meet together because you are not able to have fellowship. Now there was a factor. It wasn't in every sister. And the factor was, if sister A wants to share a feeling, and she does, but sisters B and C have a different feeling. If they share their different feeling, Sister A is offended. She's offended. Her feelings are hurt. And then, then Sisters B and C learn this, so they don't say anything. So the sisters, they, they can't talk for long, the fellowship. Here, I think there's something you can learn from the brothers, maybe because we're not as deep as you or whatever. We come together. We're, we have the oneness of the spirit. We are heading toward one accord. There is a process of fellowship where we open up and share our feeling, then let our feeling go. Don't hold on to it. Don't be touchy. Then eventually we get the Lord's mind. So my question was, can sisters fellowship like this? And here's my answer. In faith and in hope, I say, yes, they can. But it's a real learning. If we're just so subjective and so sensitive. 
and so quick to give our interpretation of something. It kills the fellowship. And this is major. This is like a problem in the circulation of the blood in your body. This is major. It's huge. So there is a wonderful fellowship among the co-branches. And this is an indicator. It's not just, oh, I'm living in the vine, I'm peaceful, I'm restful. That's very good. What about your fellowship? Your fellowship with the brothers. Do you live a life of fellowship? I've just been helped so much immensely <clears throat> simply by serving with dear brother Benson Phillips to learn from him the way of fellowship. I spent some time with him earlier this year in Moscow, where he was there for a few months. And to see our brother in the prime of his function, taking the way of fellowship, bringing all the brothers into fellowship. A beautiful, beautiful sight. This is living in the vine. The inner life of all the branches is one. And this life should continually circulate through all the branches. I was so happy last night. I walked into the restaurant with a couple of brothers. And here's my brother Jim Ritsky and his wife there. So refreshing to see him, to touch his spirit, to be renewed in the fellowship of two branches. Fellowship also implies a mutual flowing among the believers. It's mutual. This fellowship is the reality of the church life. And we were talking about the reality of the church life. I'm not picking on organized Christianity. But when I was in the Finnish Apostolic Lutheran Church as a boy, there wasn't any fellowship. Then I became a Presbyterian. You might think, oh, probably because of theological conviction, Ron Kangas became a Presbyterian at 16. No conviction. My girlfriend was a Presbyterian. <laughs> pitiful, just pitiful. But they're even more formal. You just come together on the Lord's Day. You don't talk to the person standing next to you. We can have a church life like that. Something formal. But the reality of it is fellowship. The divine fellowship is the reality of living in the body of Christ. All the local churches are one body. Don't you sense this here again? Several churches represented. We are one body. I found out it was your, your college is Mankato, right? So good to get fellowship from our brother about how the meaning of the universe was brought to him on the campus. We're in one body, brother. We're in one fellowship. Right, you might have been bo born in Africa, Somalia, maybe? Ethiopia. Ethiopia. Ethiopians are blessed. They're the seekers after God. Okay, now we're in one fellowship together. I never met you before this weekend. Now there's such love flowing between us, right? It's effortless. We're one body. All the local churches are one body. And within this one body, 
there is the circulation of the divine life. The circulation of the divine life in the body brings all the members of the body into oneness. So to conclude, what does it mean to abide in the vine? It is to live in the mingled spirit. This is the unique lesson the Lord wants us to learn. As we live here, there will be a particular kind of prayer that the Lord is waiting for, that he needs. And we will learn this. And then we see that as we live here, we discover this is the church life. It's not merely attending meetings and fulfilling my duty and service. It is a life of fellowship because we all have the same life inwardly. And how sweet it is to be in a church where there's no hindrance to the flowing of the divine life. Now, we're not there yet. It'll still be necessary for someone like Paul to say in his email, I beseech you, Odia, and I beseech Sentiki to be of one mind in the Lord. Then he sends a text to some brothers. Is there a yoke fellow? Will you please help these sisters be one? And then maybe I have to send a text back saying, oh brother, I would rather go to Antarctica and preach to penguins <laughs> than to try to reconcile these strong sisters. But uh, in the vine, I have no liberty to go to Antarctica. I'm constrained to pray for these sisters. Okay, we haven't arrived yet, but we're not where we were 10 years ago. We should be encouraged. The Lord is taking us on and wants us to live in the vine.